Welcome to Thoughts in the Market. I'm Andrew Sheets, Chief Cross Asset Strategist for Morgan Stanley Research. And I'm Matthew Harrison, Equity Research Analyst covering biotechnology. And today on part two of the podcast, we'll be returning to the debate around COVID-19 variants and hotspots, and also talking about the outlook for the healthcare sector. It's Friday, June 25th at 2 p.m. in London. And 9 a.m. in New York. So, Matt, I'd, I'd also like to take this opportunity to talk about your day job, which is covering healthcare and biotechnology companies. The companies you cover are on the front lines of manufacturing vaccines and also, you know, drug development has been impacted by a global pandemic that, you know, makes that process more complicated. So I was curious, you know, just to take a step back, when you think about incoming questions for investors that are not focused on covid What are investors focused on and uh, what do you think that says about the state of your sector? Investors are mainly focused on topics of innovation, I would say. And I think what we've seen from the pandemic has been a broader audience has been exposed to biotechnology companies and to the innovations they've made. And so I think it's driven people to ask a, a lot more about where's the disruption occurring? What are the new technologies in the sector? You know, one of the interesting things that's happened is it's caused a lot of investors, a lot of generalist investors who maybe you know didn't look at the sector in a lot of detail before, to be more willing to look at what I'll label the riskier end of companies. And so I think the conversation has shifted. And perhaps more importantly, I think generalists have seen how when biotechnology companies make a significant advance, how stocks can respond significantly to that. And, and, and you can really see a major change in how those companies are valued and where they sit in the market. So glad you brought up the disruption word, because it's one of these buzzwords that we get a lot, but it's so often applied to the technology sector. Are there other technologies on the biotech side that you're focused on that you think should be on investors' radar or other parts of the medical spectrum that could also potentially see disruption? We'll take a very short history lesson here, but I think about basically three waves of drug development. In the 40s and the 50s, the industry learned how to make chemical drugs. So think of these as pills that you take. And then in the 80s and the 90s and really leading up to the 2000s, the industry learned how to make biologics or drugs that are derived from living cells. And then over the course of the last 10 or 20 years, the industry has started to figure out how to actually directly manipulate cells, manipulate genes, and manipulate a variety of of machinery such that they can have more precise drugs and drugs that can treat a a much wider variety of conditions. And while we've seen companies mature that have the sort of first generation of those technologies, we're now seeing companies that maybe have the third or fourth generation of those technologies. And, And those are the companies that I'm focused on because they can really create significant disruption because those companies can figure out how to replace missing cells how to change cells that don't have the correct machinery, and they can do it both outside of the body as well as even potentially inside the body. And so we're talking about potentially dramatic improvements in the kinds of diseases that can be treated, but also the benefit that patients can derive if those diseases can be treated. You know, Matt, you mentioned that investors, you know, are potentially having a more open mind on companies in the earlier stages or the so-called kind of riskier stages of drug development. You know, it's obviously hard when a company might not have earnings today, but 
there's potentially large or potentially no earnings in the future. How, how do you tackle that? And um, are there things that you found more or less useful in, in your analytical process? Effectively, you know, what most analysts, in, including me, think about is we, we look at, okay, there's a drug that's directed at a certain market. And so let's think about what the reasonable size of that market could be. We assign a probability of success to a treatment. And so that's what cuts down the market size because as the drug advances through clinical development, we may increase that probability of success as more data comes through. So for an example, I could look at a drug and I could say, listen, the drug is early, but I know that the preclinical models, so the models in animals in this disease type actually translate very well into human data. And so while maybe a drug that's not even been in humans yet typically has a single digit probability of success, I think it should actually be 30 or 40% because I know these animal models translate very well into human data. But another analyst could look at it and say, yes, but we're looking at something that's a nuance that's very different than that. And I actually think this should be viewed as something that maybe only has a 5% probability of success. And then you look at the market and the market's saying, we think it's 25%. And so that's when you get people who have dramatically different views on stocks. And that's why individual data points on even small changes in clinical trials or other things can create significant volatility in our stocks. Andrew, maybe if I could ask you a, a couple questions. You know, one of the things that investors in, in healthcare or especially in biotech always care about is availability of funding, right? Because as we talked about, companies are burning a lot of cash and don't have significant revenues. And part of that discussion is as inflation or, you know, as risk rates go up, potentially their availability of cash to, you know, goes down. So what, what's the outlook there on inflation and, and rates? And I guess the, the bigger question is, how do you think that drives or doesn't drive how the market sort of allocates its risk assets? So I think there are a couple of interesting factors here. You know, the first is that you see still very favorable financing conditions in corporate bond markets, in convertible bond markets that are often, you know, used by healthcare companies. And so, you know, that capital is, is currently quite inexpensive versus history and certainly very inexpensive relative to inflation. And so, you know, I think those yields relative to inflation will go up. But, you know, we certainly expect issuance to pick up in those markets as companies take advantage uh, of these low financing costs. You know, the other thing that I think is interesting, and again, I, I think you're, you're kind of in the middle of it, is that as you've seen broader participation in the market, you know, we've seen a lot of investors uh, move into individual stocks, move into smaller cap stocks, stocks that tend to be more speculative, you know, as you mentioned, um, something that has you know, high risk, high reward has gone from being very unfavorable a year ago to a lot more favorable. And that makes it easier for those types of companies to raise money. So, you know, I, I think that from both those perspectives, the cost of capital is pretty favorable to companies. You know, again, I think that would support more debt issuance relative to equity issuance. And, and we think that could also drive better performance in stock markets relative to credit markets. Okay, that's helpful. And then I guess maybe a, a second question, which also comes out, out a lot is, you know, I think as you and, and your colleagues think about different sectors, you know, historically, and even, even through the pandemic, I know preferences, at least internally, Morgan Stanley have changed a little bit around, around healthcare. So maybe you could just talk about that and, and how you think, you know, of healthcare as a growth sector. I think healthcare is really interesting. You know, my colleague, uh, Mike Wilson, who um, is also a regular, as we all know, on this podcast, 
you know, he recently upgraded healthcare to to an overweight, and, and I think that's quite interesting because I think healthcare has some an interesting mix of growth characteristics in that there's more demand for different types of drugs and, and treatments, and that growth has been in kind of structural uh, improvement over a long period of time. But it also has some defensive characteristics in so much as, uh, you know, no matter kind of what the broader economy is doing, there is often, you know, that demand over time for those new therapies, for those better therapies. And so I think it combines some some interesting characteristics. And, you know, I think there's also, um, actually, this is a question now, Matt, I'll, I'll ping back to you. But I think the sector is, is also kind of at an interesting place with regards to the ESG debate, because, you know, obviously, I think there's a, a broad debate over drug cost and, you know, that cost relative to the development. And, you know, I think you also have a growing share of, of investors who kind of want their money to be in companies that they perceive are delivering a broader good or are delivering on a priority that's important to them. And, and you know, we, we have seen in certainly the last year, you know, pharmaceutical development, biotech development be at the center of, of fighting a pandemic. So, but yeah, I, I'm kind of curious, Matt, as I'm sure this comes up in your conversations as well, you know, where do you think kind of healthcare biotech currently sits within that ESG debate? I think it's a good point, Andrew. I would say investor interest in that thematic is definitely growing. The companies are highlighting it more and more. Some of my companies now hold a short but modest ESG investor day for that audience. I would also highlight that pricing and access to medicine always comes up as sort of the counter to that. And you know, I, I would just encourage people to look at different companies because different companies have different views on that. And some companies have actually very broad access plans, especially global access plans to countries that can't afford medicines. Very interesting. And I think uh, another important debate for us to keep our eye on. Matt, again, thanks for taking the time to talk. Thank you, Andrew. As a reminder, if you enjoy Thoughts of the Market, please take a moment to rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. It helps more people find the show. The preceding content is informational only and based on information available when created. It is not an offer or a solicitation, nor is it tax or legal advice. It does not consider your financial circumstances and objectives and may not be suitable for you. 